Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Life Lab. If you're new here, I'm Lexi. And I thought I would start off today by talking about a question that I have been getting a lot. And that is what my journey from a social worker slash therapist to being a mindset coach has been. Um, so I started off as a psychology major up in Washington at a little college called Eastern Washington University. And uh, my bachelor's was in psychology. And I was really close to graduation. And one of my professors said, and it was, I can't even remember what class. I want to say it was like an abnormal psychology class. But she said, in order to be a clinical worker, you had to be willing to be the container for everyone's shit. I don't really remember anything else about that class or that day, except very clearly thinking that I do not want to be a shit container for anyone. I just knew that wasn't the path for me. And so after graduation, I was adamant that I did not want to do clinical work, but I had no idea which path I wanted to take from there because I had been on this path of psychology and helping people in some capacity for a long time. What I ended up doing then was I took a year off and I moved to Las Vegas for a few months and I worked for a brokerage firm as a receptionist. I was living with my daughter who was four at the time um, and we were living with some of my family. And after that wasn't going as I thought it would go, I knew I was gonna go back to school, uh, but I didn't know what I was gonna do. But I knew I'd go to school in Washington again because that's where I was a resident still. So I moved back up to Washington and I started working for an insurance company and evaluating what I wanted to do next. And then I got into an HR job that I really enjoyed. I liked it, but I didn't know if that would be it either. And I had been living as a single mom at that point for about three years. And I had accessed several public assistance programs to help me throughout that time. We had Medicaid and WIC and food stamps energy assistance at one point, and I was on the waiting list for Section 8 housing that I did eventually get when I was in graduate school. And through that whole process, I had felt a ton of shame about applying for assistance, about needing the assistance, thinking, here I am, I've finished college, I can't get a good paying job to help support me and my daughter. Um, and then the process was incredibly difficult to go through to get any kind of help when I was legitimately, I was working and I was trying to get a better paying job. I was trying to better our situation and it was just so hard. And there seemed to be people that were not helpful. And from my perception, made it really difficult to get the help that I desperately needed. I felt even worse about needing the help after jumping through all the hoops and having to sit in front of someone and constantly tell them how poor I was every few months. <laughs> I get emotional thinking about it. I can picture myself in this welfare office in Spokane, Washington, you know, telling them what I was doing. And I remember thinking, this is not what people should have to go through to get help when they really need the help. And so living that experience led me to social work. I wanted to do something that could have an impact on people. I wanted to help other women go through whatever they were going through 
without the guilt and shame of asking for help. And that's where I started. That's what I knew I wanted to do. I wanted to help women. I wanted to help them in a way that would help alleviate guilt and shame. That's what I knew. The social work program I went to was at Eastern Washington University again. And it was what's known as an advanced generalist program there. I'm not sure if that's a program that they still have or if they do something different. But at the time, that basically meant I learned a little bit about a lot of stuff. So there was classes on policy, aging, child welfare, community help, advocacy, et cetera, et cetera. I then did my internship at uh, Child Protective Services. I worked in both the adoption and the investigative units. And I did some training of foster parents through the state for their licensing program. And I then knew from that experience that I also did not want to ever work with Child Protective Services doing investigation and that type of work. It was scary as shit, some of the places I had to go through. And was like, nope, that's not for me. <laughs> and I got a job offer right before graduation of doing this job that I thought I would be so great at. It was on the other side of Washington State, and it was what I had done my whole research paper on throughout graduate school on a, a model of care called family group decision making. I loved it. And I went over there, I interviewed, I found a place I wanted to live, and then I was so excited to be able to be doing the work that I went to do, helping the people that I thought needed the help. And then I got this offer for the salary and it was so low. I would have still qualified for welfare and food stamps and Medicaid, but I would also be working a lot more then. And that reality, made me think there's something else that I need to do to be able to provide for myself and my daughter. So I kind of shifted. I was really bummed about not getting to take that job at that time. And so I decided to move to Las Vegas then because that's where my family was and I wanted to be back with them. So I applied for a bunch of jobs online. I got an interview with the state for a social work therapist job, ironically, um, providing therapy. <laughs> and I got the job interview offer on like a Wednesday and they wanted me to come down the following week. And I had been saving money because I knew I was going to go to Las Vegas, but I only had enough money <laughs> to move one time. I couldn't afford a plane ticket to go down an interview and then fly back up and then move again later. I was very, very thin on what I had for savings. And so I made a decision that I was going to go to Las Vegas. I was going to get a job, if not the state job, something else. And I rented a condo on Craigslist, sight unseen, which it turned out to be fabulous, thank goodness. Uh, and my daughter had a dance recital on Sunday. And as soon as her dance recital ended, I packed up what I could in a U-Haul and I had sold everything else that I couldn't fit in a little U-Haul that I was tall behind me and moved to Las Vegas. <laughs> I ended up getting the job. And like I said, it was providing therapy to foster kids. It was uh, zero to five, their ages and their caregivers, either their birth parents or their foster parents. And from then I did a variety of different social work jobs hospital social work, which still remains one of the best places I've ever worked. I did some nonprofit work, some insurance work, and some school social work. 
And in 2020, well, throughout, back up just a second, but throughout all that time, I did not have my clinical license. I was still doing different kinds of social work that was not therapy. And in 2020, I decided, you know what, I, I want to open more doors to myself. It's been so many years since I graduated. At that point, I had been 15 since I had gotten my master's in social work. And I was like, I want to open some other doors to be able to do different things with my degree. And the only way in which to do that in the state of Nevada is to do clinical therapy type of hours. And so I got approved to do that. You have to go through a whole paying the state a lot of money to get approval to go work for a low wage to do this. And I got approved to do it about a week before March 13th, 2020. And so I was just figuring out my schedule and everything got shut down. So I immediately got to pivot into doing telehealth and I was working with foster kids, parents, caregivers, adults, and I've been practicing ever since. And as I have grown in my clinical practice, I have really started to see some limitations on therapy and the help that I can provide for people. So therapists are trained mental health professionals with the goal of treating mental illness. Not everyone who comes to therapy has a mental illness. Some people exist in more severe areas while others are experiencing these moderate or mild symptoms. And then no matter where you're on the scale, if you're living with mental illness, I would suggest talking to a therapist. But one of the huge limitations for me is that therapy is driven by insurance requirements. People want to use their insurance. Totally understand that. So insurance, what some people don't know is that within a certain amount of sessions, usually one to two, that are maybe an hour long, um, insurance says you have to diagnose this person. So you have to do a, a ton of paperwork. The insurance can limit how many sessions a therapist gives to a client, how long the sessions can be. And then if they don't agree, if the insurance company doesn't agree with the work that you've done, they can claw back their claims, which means they take their money back. <laughs> and none of that felt good because I was like, it doesn't feel good to need somebody coming to you for help. And you say, I can't help you because I can't diagnose you with anything. And that, that felt really incongruent with who I am. Um, so in 2019 is when I had found coaching. I had recently delved into a lot of personal development and trying to understand myself as a whole and better myself. And what I really found out was that I did not understand my money or how to manage it. I went in search of some resources for this and stumbled upon the world of money coaching. I reached out to this fabulous, fabulous lady that's still in my life today. Thank goodness. I coach with her company. Her name was Lisa Chastain, and I'm going to link her below because I reached out to her and in a very unlike me moved, I signed up for a group experience with her that was like two weekends away. Uh, and to say it was life-changing is a huge understatement. I had found my people. I had found a community of women who understood me as a woman and what I was going through. And then I also got unconditional support from Lisa and the women in the program while also being called out on my shit. And so about halfway through my year long program with Lisa, I really started to notice how my therapeutic training could be beneficial in a coaching relationship without being therapy. 
I was at a women's retreat called Spark and I had a fleeting thought that I would love to help women like Lisa did. And about an hour later, she asked me if I would consider coaching other women when I finished her academy program. And it was an enthusiastic hell yes for me. It opened up this whole world of possibilities for me. <sighs> I'm just thinking about it. It makes me so happy. It was a moment that literally just like cracked my world open. I saw a different way to practice in a proactive way to help people instead of reactive way. I finished my clinical hours. I took the exam. I've kept doing therapy and I really started burning out with it. And I realized this is not how I want to help people. I'm limiting myself. I'm limiting my creativity. I'm limiting the help I can provide. Uh, and so what I really kind of started to understand at that point is it didn't have to be coaching versus therapy. What I wanted for myself was a way to help people in a way that felt aligned and authentic to me. And so the first step of my transition was letting go of what it looks like to be a therapist. This doesn't mean that you strip away that important part of yourself. As a therapist, you have this huge wealth of knowledge that can support your work as a coach. And moving into coaching is not about letting that experience go. It's about learning, evolving, and using new tools. And, but unlike counseling or therapy, life coaching assumes a baseline level of mental health and emotional wellness and focuses on the present and co-creating the future with your client. And I went, I signed up for a life coaching program to get certified. I'm certified through the Jay Shetty School because I felt really aligned with his message as well. I'll link him and some of his stuff down in the comment or in the show description as well, because the way that he talks and thinks about people is really unique. So where coaching really diverges from mental health is that life coaches, we don't spend a lot of time exploring the past. We don't get stuck in that story. Instead, we're primarily working with clients to define a future vision and a tactical action plan to achieve specific goals. And so you get to share a little bit of yourself with clients too. As a therapist, you're going and there's lots and lots of rules and lots and lots of ethical concerns that come up when you share too much about you as a person and the experiences that you've had as a person with a therapy client. And then you're getting this big visibility <laughs> as a coach and coaching clients will often choose to work with you because of your story of who you are and how you show up in this world. That's where I see a lot of therapists start to feel really, really uncomfortable because it's rubbing up against the boundaries that you've been hold to train in your clinical relationships. And as a therapist, you're part of this big medical model. So you have a network to plug into to attract clients. There's also an, an expectation that you as a person remain invisible. You are in a role and there's a big expectation of separation between who you are and the job that you're there to do. And I have found a lot of success in my role as a coach, being able to let somebody know who I am and getting to understand them as a person. And so when you're trained to be a therapist, you're taught the clinical side of things. Building a business around you is not part of that equation. So in coaching, building you and your presence is something that you have to learn. You have to learn how to coach. It's very distinct. 
with a different science behind it than therapy. When I was in the Jay Shetty school, I think I learned more about how to actually work with people than I did throughout my entire graduate school experience. And it was amazing. <laughs> and being able to work with people on defining that future vision, the goal setting was mind blowing to me. And that was part of what really was like pushing me to move out of therapy. And so even when you are trained to do so, you cannot conduct therapy in a coaching setting. There needs to be a very distinct line between the two. And I do not see therapy clients as coaching clients or vice versa, as I am almost completely transitioned out of doing therapy and I'm almost primarily working in coaching. Uh, and in coaching, we don't give advice. We direct or guide and give suggestions, but we don't give advice. In therapy, a lot of times people are asking for some very concrete advice. And a well-trained coach is powerful at helping a person not only find themselves, but create themselves. And, but even though coaching is a unique discipline, there are some skills that naturally transfer over and what makes a therapist turned coach very unique. And those are things that we have like empathy, observation and reflection, because I have been intensely trained on that. I have been intensely <laughs> practiced on that in all, my almost 20 years of therapy. And I was doing some research on this to see how many other therapists turned coaches there are, and it's becoming a lot more. And I was reading from a doctor, Anna Melikian, I think is how you say her name. She's a psychologist who transitioned into full-time coaching. And she said something that was there that spoke to me and said, therapy is focused on getting the client from a negative 10 to zero through diagnosis and treatment. Whereas coaching helps clients get from zero to plus 10 in their life. You hear the difference there? Therapy is getting from negative 10. Something, you know, things are going wrong, really, really wrong. And we're just trying to get back to your baseline level of a zero. Coaching gets you from a zero, you're at your baseline, to going plus 10 in your life or even more. And that really spoke to me because it's true. <laughs> and coaching is a positive psychology of self I can't even talk. Actualization. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with my words. I'm so excited about talking about this. So we might help a client that's in stress during coaching, but we do so by inviting them into the future, locating their own wisdom, and examining their life through their higher self first. When you treat the whole person and not the just the dysfunction, you are unleashing so much power for this person. When you empower a person and show them what they can do, instead of focusing on what they can't do, you can improve their overall mental health and their life dramatically. And that's really where I saw myself shifting from therapy to coaching is when I really started to focus on solution-based approaches in therapy and getting out of the story and moving forward. And I'm really excited to see where coaching can take me and my clients. I am actively accepting people into my monthly membership program right now called the Life Lab. It's a program where we have monthly personal development topics carefully curated to help you reach your highest aligned potential. 
And I would love to have you join us. I'm going to put the link down in the show notes below. And if you have any questions about what it's like to transition from therapy to coaching, or if you're a therapist considering the change and have really direct questions about it, feel free to reach out. You can email me at any time. Until next time, thank you for listening to The Life Lab.